When Dorothy's college friend Jean comes for a visit, it's all fun and games until feelings get involved. After losing her partner Pat, Jean finds the same kindness, comfort, and dairy farming past in Rose. But Jean's feelings are more romantic than Rose expects. Will Jean confess her love to Rose? Will Sophia's porn addiction affect her health? Is Blanche part chicken? Let's answer all of those questions and more in today's episode, Isn't It Romantic? Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. You're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing, and laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come and go. I'll be honest, some episodes are harder for me to push play on, like when I was staring down the barrel of job hunting, knowing I was about to spend five or so hours dissecting it. It can be a struggle. But for this one, I couldn't wait. I actually wrote it a week early because it is one of my very favorite episodes. It is so full of laughs and love. It leaves you thinking, gee, isn't it romantic? Isn't it romantic? Music in the night. Originally featured in the 1932 film Love Me Tonight, it's Ella Fitzgerald's 1957 version of Isn't It Romantic that is most famous. It's part of the Great American Songbook and has even been called the perfect song. And it is a beautiful one, one I kind of tend to forget about. But the second I hear it, I'm transported to a dance floor with overhead string lights swaying at a wedding with a lover. Running into the living room to use the rarely seen VCR or video cassette recorder and television, we see a blue pant, white collared shirt, and yellow cardigan wearing Sophia, who is urgently putting a tape in the player. Scurrying to the couch, she settles in with her enormous bag of prepackaged popcorn. When khaki and rust orange sweater with yellow undershirt and taupe brown trim wearing Dorothy comes in from the kitchen. Coco, you had an observation about this VCR. No cables whatsoever besides the power cable. It took you out of the scene. I don't understand why they don't just put those two other cables you would need for the VCR to make it real. It was kind of funny. Like, why even show the back of it or just go get a prop one that doesn't have any inputs? Put a doily over it like a regular old person would do (laughs) and call it a day. Oh, my gosh. I forgot. Yeah, everybody... The grandparents definitely put like doilies and little trinkets on it, almost like they weren't quite sure what to do with that piece of technology in their house. Hearing the movie, Dorothy asks what Sophia's watching. Why, it's one of those Steven Spielberger movies. While some of his biggest films like Schindler's List, Jurassic Park, and The Unforgettable Always had yet to be released, Steven Spielberg was still a huge name in 86, seeing as he had given us Indiana Jones, E.T., and of course, Jaws. As great as a porn director named Steven Spielberger is, there was not a director by that name. There is an adult film director that came onto the scene in 1988 by the name of Steven Scarborough, so maybe Sophia was just really hip to the up-and-coming stars in the adult film industry. Wink, wink. It's something I'm going to add to my repertoire. Yes. But generally, 
popcorn is not something I think of when it's time to watch a film. That kind of a uh, dirty that film. kind of a film, yeah, a dirty movie, if you will. I mean, food usually isn't an accompanying part of that. And if it was, popcorn would be real low on that list. <laughs> but it's so buttery. Your hands would be nice and buttery, greasy and salty. Oh, I don't want those anywhere. <laughs> Expecting to see something like American Tale, Fievel Goes West, Dorothy's eyes are greeted with American Tale, Fievel Goes Wild, or E.T., Extra Titlestrial, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Boobs. <laughs> what movies did I know, he I'm make? pulling up his movies here. Good God. <laughs> I've never even heard of Steven Spielberg. A. Ay, ay, ay. I mean, shaving Ryan's privates is an old standby. Oh, that's true. Schindler's nips. <laughs> I mean, Schindler's fist, please. <gasps> ah! <laughs> Munichy mess. <laughs> Munichy mess on me. Big, how about BFG is just big friendly globes? Oh, yeah, that's nice. Thank you. Oh, I like that. Catch, my, catch me by the cans. Mm. Oh, catch me in the can? Oh, Band of Brothers. Just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> the Post. He oh, Leave right. it at that. <laughs> Empire of the Buns. Empire of the Sun? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the color. Purple from Spankings. The color purple, comma, from Spankings. From Spankings. <laughs> <laughs> Close Encounters of the Third Nipple Kind. Of the third-legged kind. Oh, there it is. Close encounters of, of the, the third-legged third kind. kind. Yep, that's it. Well, Dorothy is just shocked and appalled at her adult mother's adult movie choice. As we've talked about before, our grandparents are still boning, our parents are still boning, and yes, they're also watching porn. Sadly, every study I came across was all about older men's consumption of porn and the effect it has on the wife. But um, first off, that's some heteronormative junk. Secondly, what about the women? Aren't there elderly women that have a healthy enjoyment of porn? Yeah. As long as it isn't affecting your life, you're good. Have some fun. Maybe not with your children in the room, even if she is in her 60s. Fun fact, it's porn we have to thank for having VHSs and not Betamax. According to Thrillist.com, in the 80s, we were at a technological crossroads. Would American homes have access to films via VHS tapes or Betamax tapes? A pro for Betamax, they had a much higher quality picture. A pro for VHS, an up to three-hour running time, meaning you could record your favorite sporting event or, of course, have a three-hour porn. You can see why quantity over quality reigns supreme. Supplemental fun fact, this was the same situation with HD DVD. While they had better pictures than Blu-ray, Blu-ray can hold more info, a.k.a. show longer dirty movies. Did you ever have a Betamax tape? Yes. we. My dad was, unfortunately, Betamax all the way, mm. and then that went south. He knew. He probably knew it was higher quality. He, that's exactly why he got it. He was like, it's a better, it's a better quality recording. Why wouldn't I want that? Yeah. But everyone else was like, yeah, I just want to record forever. <laughs> Stupid. You broke my dad's heart. 
Yeah, you guys owe him an apology, you Betamax, anti-Betamax people. Yeah, I think I, st- I have like a copy of Wizard of Oz recorded off the TV on Betamax. Oh, we should like, we should get those great. transferred and just see what the yes. commercials, can you even imagine? <gasps> Amazing. Like from 1984. Yeah, that's yeah. ideal. That'd be really cool. Here's where Dorothy crosses the line a bit. She's the one that walked in on Sophia's alone time. She had the living room first and was watching what she wanted to watch. Don't bring your kink shame into it and force her to turn it off, Dorothy. Sick of watching, or perhaps jealous of watching the dirty movie, Dorothy attempts to turn it off. Right then, a purple dress-wearing and shopping bag-carrying rose, and stunning blue pantsuit with bright pink shirt-wearing and potted plant-holding Blanche come in the door. Their eyes, drawn to the television, are witnessing a porno that hasn't been turned off by the frantic Dorothy, but has accidentally been fast-forwarded by her. And when you're playing a VHS and start to fast-forward, you can still see what's on the screen. Rose is befuddled. What is happening? Blanche knows the answer, but she's too busy being impressed at the rate in which it's happening. For Rose, it's not that it's so shocking. I mean, she did spend time on her uncle's rabbit farm. We've talked before about the rate in which rabbits can mate, young and often, hence the term breeding like rabbits. And to Rose's point about the fast-forwarding movie, in an eight-hour period, a male rabbit can go for a romp between five and 50 times. One report on AnimalWised.com even showed six rounds in only 30 minutes, one of which occurred only 19 seconds after it was introduced to the female rabbit. Yikes. Now that Dorothy has run the tape forwards and back, showing everyone what Blanche does for her companions on their birthdays, she is finally able to get it to stop. Wet blanket Dorothy puts the kibosh on Sophia's porn watching, although it's unclear why. She doesn't trigger her mother's guilt by reminding her she's hardcore Catholic, and it's not like Sophia is watching it for personal research, so who cares? Although I have been to a strip club with my parents, so maybe I'm not one to talk about boundaries like that. At one point, when Dorothy is kink-shaming her mother, Sophia says, Dirty is in the eye of the beholder, a play on the famous phrase by Margaret Wolfe Hungerford. In her book Molly Braun from 1878, she wrote, Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Moving on from the movie, Rose asks when Dorothy's visiting friend Jean will be getting there. It turns out Jean, Dorothy's friend from college, has lost her partner of eight years and needs some quality time with friends. Rose is more than understanding, as she felt the same way after losing Charlie. Remembering how sad she was when Charlie died, she knows Jean will need some cheering up. And she has the surefire way to do so, to make her famous clown Sundays. They include a waffle cone hat, and again with the ruining of the ice cream, raisins for eyes. I, I screamed when that happened. You said, what are those? Are those raisins? And they were. Maybe because they're cheap. Maybe chocolate chips were more expensive in the 80s. I mean, they're still kind of spendy now. It's like five bucks for a little bag. And maybe raisins are cheap. Maybe it's just because they're old and, you know, back then, like, old people eat. I mean, I'm sure they still do, but it was like a thing, I think, yeah. that, like, old people eat raisins. That's true. You know what else eats raisins? Young Joshies. That's true. Sun-made, baby, all day long. California wrinkled boys. Put them in my mouth. from the California Vineyards. Don't you know I heard it through the great Sounds great, doesn't it? As Rose heads off to the kitchen to get going on her Sundays, Sophia checks in with Dorothy, who she can tell seems a bit tense. Dorothy explains. She's simply nervous about her friend's visit because she's very special. 
That's when Sophia blurts out what's so special about her. You mean because she's a lesbian? At first, Dorothy plays it off with a laugh before asking her how she knew. Sophia's awareness isn't anything new. Back in college days, even before Jean knew, Sophia knew she was a lesbian. While sure, a mother knows, Jean maybe probably knew, and it's possible she just wasn't ready to come out or sure of her identity. So don't go opening a psychic hotline just yet, Sophia. The origin of the word lesbian actually comes from the 1800s. Sappho was a poet who wrote with passions directed at women. She lived on the Isle of Lesbos, hence lesbian. When writing about Helen of Troy, Sappho said, I would much prefer to see the lovely way she walks and the radiant glance of her face than the war chariots of the Lydians or their foot soldiers in arms. Sophia tries to make a point here, giving the opinion that, in my opinion, should be everyone's opinion. Who cares who's with who? And in her most Sophia way, she delivers, some people like cats instead of dogs. Frankly, I'd rather live with a lesbian instead of a cat. Unless, of course, the lesbian is a shedder. So inclusive, loving, and absolutely wacko. When there's a ring at the door and Dorothy answers, she finds Jean on the other side in what appears to be a calf-length pink-colored dress and iridescent blue butt-length jacket. Saying her hellos, Jean is delighted to not only see her longtime friend, but her mother as well. In hugging and complimenting Jean, Sophia asks Dorothy why she can't be more like her, which gets a bit of a chuckle from the audience before Sophia's oh boy of scratch that. We get it, Sophia. You don't want your daughter to be gay. Before introducing Jean to the girls, Dorothy wants to clarify if she's out of the closet or not. Struggling to find the words, Sophia jumps in to help. Is it a secret or not? Well, what she actually says is, do you keep it under your hat or not? According to Grammarist.com, to keep something under your hat started in England in the 1800s, originally meaning to keep something to yourself or in your own head, the phrase changed to meaning keeping a secret once in America. Playing Jean is Lois Nettleton. I have always loved her look, a face made for 70s soft focus lenses. Following in Betty White's footsteps, Lois made many appearances on game shows, mostly The Pyramid, including this pre-internet viral moment when a contestant got the answer in just under the buzzer. Uh, things that you wear. Things that you wear to bed at night. A baby's clothes. Things that are soft. Things that are um, that are fluffy. Things that it a clean. blanket. Things that made a flannel. In a situation like this, I'm not going to call it. Nobody is. There are oh. two tape recorders, an audio recorder, two video recorders. It's recorded somewhere. If you got that answer, you've won ten thousand dollars. We'll check it when we come back. You just won ten thousand. To get invited to game shows, you need to be famous, and Lois was, for work on shows like Baywatch Nights, Coach, Babylon, Seinfeld, Babylon 5, Murder, She Wrote, Full House, In the Heat of the Night, The Facts of Life, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, The Love Boat, Barnaby Jones, Mary Tyler Moore, Night Gallery, Gunsmoke, Bonanza, and as the fever-suffering star of one of my favorite episodes of another favorite show of mine, The Twilight Zone, where she played Norma in the eerily relevant episode, Midnight Sun. This crazy thought that I'm going to wake up and none of this will have happened. I'll wake up in a cool bed. It'll be night outside. And there'll be a wind. Branches rustling. Shadows on the sidewalk. In addition to her on-screen acting, she also did plenty of voice work. 
including on the Herc Adventures video game, Spider-Man the Animated Series, and as Maleficent in Disney's Mickey Mouse House of Villains. You had your fun! You played your play! But Um, is Lois Nettleton my favorite actress? I mean, she is the star of two of my favorite episodes of two of my favorite shows. So I think I'm really having a moment right now. As Dorothy continues to fumble through asking Jean about how she wants to identify, she explains that the girls assumed her partner Pat had been a man and she just didn't correct them. Like when Rose asked if she and Pat were married long, Dorothy simply said they were together eight years. But a proud Jean isn't worried about that. She loved Pat and isn't afraid of expressing that love or who she is. She wants her friends to know her for her, if Dorothy thinks they'll be comfortable with it, of course. That concern about comfort is because just 35 years ago when this was airing, there were minimal gay characters on television, which is fairly representative of how gay people were treated and how out they were in the real world. As we saw with Coco in the pilot, gay people were treated as side characters with over-the-top perceived stereotypical behaviors. When it came to real life, there were consequences for being out. You could lose your job, housing, friends, even life. It wasn't until 2020... Yeah, you heard that right last year, that the Supreme Court said you can't fire someone because of their sexual orientation or for being transgender. We've come a long way, but with the LGBTQIA community still facing hate, discrimination, and violence, we still have a very, very, very long way to go. When a cheerful Rose comes in with a tray of haunting clown-themed ice cream treats that not only have raisins for eyes but have cherries for their nose, it's clear to Jean that perhaps Rose's sensibilities might be too delicate for such earth-shattering information. Deciding to keep her sexuality a secret, Jean and Rose introduce themselves, with Rose offering her a treat. Stepping in to save her friend from having to awkwardly turn down or even more awkwardly accept and start eating the melting bozos, Dorothy tells Rose to wait. They don't want to have all the fun right away. As Rose, somewhat disappointed and even more so confused, tries to find a place for her tray of Pennywise treats, Blanche comes strutting in from the lanai. As she introduces herself to Jean, she remarks that she's heard so much about her through the years, it's like she's already friends with her. They're basically bosom buddies. The term bosom buddies started in the 1960s as slang to refer to a gay man. Then, according to Dictionary.com, through the 70s and 80s, the term changed to mean close friends. Funny enough, the term changed, thanks in part, to B. Arthur and that horrible movie she made with Lucille Ball, Mame. In the movie, they have a song together called Bosom Buddies. The term was then used for the 80s sitcom starring some guy named Tom Hanks and America's sweetheart Peter Scolari. What a small world. Who else but a bosom buddy will tell you the whole stinking truth? Sorry, Sophia. No joke to be made here, even though there are bosoms involved. Just sit there quietly and eat your ice cream. More exciting than just meeting Jean is the fact that Blanche now has someone to drag around town to all the men-filled restaurants, bars, and clubs. When Dorothy goes to stop her because Jean isn't interested, Blanche doesn't catch the drift and thinks it's due to the fact that her husband died so recently. Which, guy, gal, non-binary, and everywhere in between, it doesn't matter. Too soon is too soon. Coco, how soon will you date after I die? I'm just kidding. I'm going to live forever, but... I'd really just want to make sure that I could use your death as, like, currency Mm, still, mm -hmm. so... Pretty soon. Pretty quick. Pretty quick. Pretty quick. 
any sympathy if anyone is you know there you're just looking for a shoulder to cry on whatever man (laughs) and a bosom to become buddies with i mean ideally (laughs) tell god when you get there please (laughs) i give you my blessing to start right away yeah and i I, you as blanche points out mostly to herself that jean must not be ready to meet men sophia nearly chokes on her ice cream trying to get out a you don't know the half of it Doing the classic, we have a guest room shuffle, it's been decided that Jean will get Sophia's room and Sophia will stay in Dorothy's. Of course, this is no bother when they have a friend visiting. It's just that Sophia needs to remember to not pee in the planters in the hallway. It's an unusually foggy and California-looking morning over the house when we find the ladies in the kitchen having breakfast. Dorothy in her cryptic, high-collared white nightgown, Blanche in a new-to-us black and shiny blue robe, Rose in her blue pajamas with a yellow apron while she makes everyone food, and Jean serving us peppermint stick realness in her pink, red, and white striped robe. When Jean says she has nothing going on for the day, Blanche can't help but to make a suggestion. Your pet has been dead a year. Move on. Find a new man. Sorry, Blanche. Not everyone has as flexible a heart as yours, and we might not be able to get engaged every three weeks. As Dorothy tries to change the subject, Rose chimes in. She's on Jean's side. It took her years before she could even muster interest in thinking about another man after Charlie died leaving Blanche to give us one of the most Blanche responses to have ever blanched. Because Rose spent so much time not thinking about men, she has poor muscle tone. Well, Blanche, that's an old wives' tale. Sort of. Not so much about the muscle tone specifically, but sex having effect on muscle performance. Professor Todd Astorino did a study where he had 12 male college athletes work out for a certain number of days. During the workouts, they measured the torque and all sorts of muscly things. Then they asked if the men had had sexual relations the night before. Their study found that, contrary to the popular don't have sex before a big athletic event the following day, there was actually no positive or negative effect. So if you're a teen or young adult man, you're free to do what you wish with your genitals the night before the big game. For the rest of us, we'll just have to keep not worrying about such things. As Rose responds to Blanche's comment with a grimace, Blanche smirks and walks away, telling Jean to hit her up when she wants to go out. As Jean continues to enjoy the elaborate breakfast prepared by Rose, she remarks that it reminds her of life back home at the farm. Well, farm is the F word for Rose, and upon hearing it, her voice jumps up about 12 octaves. Inquiring about her farm life, Jean tells Rose she grew up on a dairy farm, just like Rose had. Well, Rose might as well start spinning in circles as her excitement starts to explode out of her via high-pitched, fast-talking, and a slap to Dorothy's arm for not telling her that her friend had lived on a farm. Dorothy's only defense, and a right one, is that she was too worried it might be too much for Rose to handle, which seems to be what's happening right then. Jean and Rose start sharing farm stories, cow milking, milking machines, weird contraptions that causes Rose's cow to be horny or really attractive to the other cows. Coco, I actually had to have you help me with that joke. I I think the milking machine felt real good on that cow, and it had some sort of noticeable effect to everyone else on the farm. Yeah, so Rose says that that she hooked up their cow to the machine, the milking machine, and she collapsed. She wasn't electrocuted, but she was like the hottest... 
the hottest cow on the farm. So it gave her big old udders. You know what? I, I think that must be it. The cow had gigantic udders. Yeah. And that would, I mean. As if that's like boobies. Yeah, I can't think of any other, any other thing that would, that would. Yeah, it's kind of a wonky, it's a wonky Rose story for sure. Maybe she started putting off just this pungent musk. <laughs> a milky or odor. Just a fog in the, in the, across the barnyard. Oof. And the bulls were just. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Hearing the two farm girls go on about their milking days, Blanche and Dorothy see themselves out. However, it does appear to be a work day as Rose mentions she doesn't have to be in until late and she would like to go to an early movie with Jean. As the day goes on, a storm rolls in, bringing rain, wind, and memories. For Blanche, the rain is sentimental and sexy. It reminds her of her first kiss. And no, it wasn't a romantic one in the rain like the notebook. It was in the shower. Oh, boy. The implications. Like, she got in a shower with a boy, we can only assume, and before even having her first kiss, she was nude? She probably had sex along with her first kiss? Not judging at all, just concerned for her kind of, like, hypersexuality at who knows what age. I mean, she did have all those urges. I wrote you every day for a year. You broke me? Yes. It wasn't over. Coco, I believe we have discussed our first kisses before. Where was yours, like location-wise? Was it in the shower? Uh, it was on a dirt road. Oh, that's kind of romantic. No. Oh. As for me, I was Dorothy, and I was completely unconscious. Not unconscious, but I was asleep. I was also 19, and I was at a party, and I was always the designated driver, and... I had been flirting with a boy all night, not flirting, falling in love with, and uh, we went and laid down on a futon, and for me, I don't care where I am, I don't care if I'm at a stadium rock show or in a bar, if I can angle my head, I will be asleep. So uh, we laid down on the futon, and he put the blankets over us, because I think he already had things in mind, but for me, that was like, good night, and I fell asleep, and then I woke up to him on my face. And he didn't know. I didn't say like, hey, buddy, I'm asleep or, you know, he wasn't being predatory. It was dark. And so I think he was like, I'm making a move. And I was like, I'm going to sleep. So it was pretty romantic. Was it was it any good? Uh, I think so. I just remember waking up and being like, why is my face wet? Oof. And I couldn't figure out. And then I was like, wait, what's on my face? I'm like, oh, my God, he's on my face. Oh, my God, it's my first kiss. And then I started to get sad. To get sad and I was like, I slept through my first kiss. You know, the, like, touching of the cheek and leaning. You know, all the things I expected to have of, like, the attention and excitement, especially when you're 19 for your first kiss. No, it's pretty much like, you're, like your dog woke you up or something. <laughs> yeah. Get and down. he was very sweet. We yeah. saw each other after that. He had just moved, but we saw each other after that. He was very nice. But yeah, there you go. Well, I'm glad that didn't work out, you know? Me too. It was not a love connection. It was not. Nice guy. Always nice, though. But you are like a bird. Just throw a blanket over you and you're out. <laughs> it's true. Put your head to the side. <laughs> blanket over your head. If I can angle, if I can rest my head on my hand and close my eyes, then it's done. Coming in the back door is a classic yellow rain slicker and hat donning Sophia. She had braved the storm to get to her video store. 
Oh, and just look at that cute outfit under her slicker, a pink sweatshirt over her pastel checkered top and tan pants. Dorothy is shocked her mother left because A, everyone thought she was taking a nap, and two, Dorothy had already offered to go for her. But for Sophia, it was more important to pick the right movie than to stay safe. Can't say that I blame her. If someone was grabbing me a movie and I'd hoped for porn but ended up with a musical, well, heads would roll. Bless your beautiful hide wherever you may be. We ain't met yet, but I'm willing to bet you're the gal for me. I've never seen Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, not because I thought it was a dirty movie, but because I knew it was a musical. Now that I think about it, I'm sure in those genres we don't talk about on this show, there are plenty of parodies of that movie, if you know what I mean. In looking up info about it, I learned the 1954 film is based in Oregon, so maybe I should watch it. But then I read about a barn-building dance sequence, so maybe I won't be watching. It looks like springtime in the ladies' kitchen, with Dorothy in a fleece-looking purple turtleneck and Blanche in a very similar outfit as to what she was wearing yesterday, this time more of a teal blue blouse and pant with an undershirt of black with a colorful print. Realizing Jean and Rose are still out, Blanche asks if Dorothy knows what they're up to. She figures they're just out having lunch together again. When Dorothy mentions how lovely of a person Jean is, Blanche twists her word to mean what she means when she says, lovely. A.K.A. there's something up. She also finds Jean lovely in the same way you find someone lovely for changing the subject when dating is brought up. Or lovely like someone who is dating a married man. Because that is the answer Blanche has come to. Since the subject of dating is always changed, it must be that Jean is having an affair. Dorothy doesn't tell her if she's right or not, just mockingly calls it uncanny. That's when a yellow and fun beach print rain jacket sporting Rose comes in from the back door with a whimper. Purple jacketed Jean follows close behind. Rose's tears have everyone concerned at first that something must be wrong. Well, Dorothy's concerned. Blanche is supportive, reminding her that her hair dye won't wash out in the rain. But it's neither something serious nor about her hair. It's that they went to the Crimea River Matinee Marathon. Now, this could be a plot whoopsie or not. The timeline of Jean's visit is a bit hard to follow. While breakfast seemed like it was the first morning of her visit, it might have been a few days in because Rose asked her to go to the matinee because she had a late start at work. But that couldn't have been this matinee. It was a double feature. So at the earliest, you're getting to work at like 4 p.m. Do you work the swing shift now? Or was this a different day since Dorothy mentioned Rose and Jean having already been out to lunch a different day? Ugh. Love Story is the 1970 film about a young couple facing basically the original Walk to Remember. And it's famous for its utterly nonsensical tagline, love means never having to say you're sorry. Except if you love someone, you should always say you're sorry. They followed up that tear fest with terms of endearment. I'm sorry to say I've never seen that movie, but I know there are some heavy feelings involved in both, hence Rose's weepy response. Coming in in gray pants and a yellow half-zip sweater, Rose is soaked and leaves to change. Hanging up her purple coat, Jean has revealed an all-white ensemble with an oversized rainbow sweater with a snowflake-like geometric shape pattern. A very cute and comfy-looking outfit. As she goes to sit with Dorothy, Jean asks Blanche if they can have some time alone to talk. Thinking she has her all figured out as the dating-a-married-man type, Blanche excuses herself, but not before giving Jean a little wink and a, your secret's safe with me. 
I always felt that moment was kind of funny in that Dorothy didn't clarify to Jean that she hadn't outed her to Blanche, that she didn't say, she thinks you're dating a married man. I didn't correct her. But anyway, Jean wants to talk to Dorothy because she wants to tell her there's been a change of plans. There's nothing wrong. She just needs to leave today. Again, I wish they would have squeezed one little line in about how long she'd been there. One day, eight days, just so that when Jean confesses to Dorothy that she's in love with Rose, it wouldn't come off as such a bachelorette-level thirst. Are we on Bachelor in Paradise and after one day you think you've found the one? Or have you had enough time to realize you might be developing real feelings? But yes, back to the meat of the story. For Jean, she's falling for Rose because she is not only just a good person, as good of a person as her late partner, but they get along so well. Heck, they even had similar milk-themed childhoods. So it all makes sense. I just wish these ladies would all pump the brakes sometimes. Going into the night, we get funky new transition music that gives us contemplative bossa nova as we find Dorothy and Sophia in Dorothy's bed. As Dorothy tosses and turns, she snuggles up next to her ma, who, in a near dreamlike state, assumes the poke of Dorothy's elbow is the poke of her late Salvador. Dismissing his advances, she starts to make excuses before Dorothy pops up over her shoulder. No, ma, it's just me. Unable to get sleep, Dorothy wakes her ma. She has a question, and it was not only a big moment then, but remains powerful to this day. Dorothy asks Sophia, what would you do if you had a gay child? Assuming Dorothy is referring to her cross-dressing, gladiator-loving son, Phil, Dorothy clarifies, no, not Phil. So Sophia assumes she's talking about herself. Of course, bringing some smart-assness to the conversation, asking if Jean is holding a membership drive. Membership drives are real. Membership drives for sexual orientation are not. And if she is gay, it's not that Sophia would love her any less. She just thinks she's too old to branch out so dramatically. Attempting to roll over to go to sleep, Dorothy stops her again. No, it's not me. I just want to know. This starts her beautiful response and the domino effect of what becomes one of the greatest scenes in the series. If one of my kids was gay, I wouldn't love him one bit less. I would wish him all the happiness in the world. It's because you're the greatest mother in the world, and I love you. Once again reminding me of all of the beautiful moments I've had with my mom while gabbing at her after a date and she was in bed, or those times we've shared a bed and talked. It's Sophia's honest and loving answer that makes you realize how great of a mom she is. Great, and also still mom. That's why she doesn't linger in the sappy moment and tells Dorothy to shut her fat mouth so she can get some sleep. In my case, it was always my restless legs keeping Ma up. But Dorothy can't keep her fat mouth shut. She needs to talk about what's going on with Jean, so she blurts it out. Okay, this part I don't love. I always felt like Sophia's laugh was a little too silly or, like, acting something, but I digress. Sitting up at the news, Sophia lets out some squeaks of, Isn't that something? before the two of them join in raucous laughter at the idea of Jean being in love with Rose, a.k.a. Little Miss Muppet. Little Miss Muffet is a nursery rhyme believed to have originated in the late 1700s. Referring to Rose as such implies she's young, naive, and maybe a little bit prissy. As the laughter continues, the bedroom door opens to reveal a jealous Blanche asking them what's going on. In stereo, the Petrillo women answer, nothing, as they calm their laughter and slink back into the bed. 
but Blanche doesn't buy it. She's heard their laughter down the hall, so she knows something's going on. Without hesitation, Sophia blurts out, Jean is a lesbian. Dorothy's annoyed at it, but Blanche handles the news surprisingly well, even confused why that would be so funny to the ladies. As Dorothy and Sophia try to clarify, Blanche tells them in her own way why she isn't surprised at this information. Okay, lots of people are, even Danny Thomas. Except I'm pretty sure his family was from Lebanon, a country surrounded by Syria, Jordan, and Israel-slash-Palestine, and it has nothing to do with who he's attracted to. Now, about Danny Thomas. My, oh my, where do we start? He gained popularity as a nightclub singer and performer, leading to opportunities on Lucy and Desi, Red Skelton, and Jack Benny. His popularity led to him having his own show, The Danny Thomas Show, from 1953 to 1964. He continued to work steadily through the 70s on shows like Get Smart, Happy Days, Mod Squad, and Kojak. He wrapped up his career in 1991 on the Golden Girls spinoff, Empty Nest, passing away that same year. And no, he was not a lesbian. He appeared on his daughter, Marlo Thomas's show, That Girl. Being that his parents were immigrants from Lebanon, Danny's birth name was Amos Muziad Yakub Karuz. Besides his legacy being carried on in this, one of the best jokes in comedic television, Danny Thomas was the founder of the nonprofit children's hospital, St. Jude. Wherever we go, whatever we do, count me into it together. And we're finally here, to the scene of all scenes. After coming into the room, sitting at the foot of the bed, and becoming confused about Lebanese and lesbian, the imitating being worldly Blanche delicately brushes her hair back with her hand as a stunned and silent Dorothy and Sophia stare at her with looks that blend annoyance and befuddlement. Letting the laughter linger, the ladies continue to stare before Dorothy realizes she'll need to do the clarifying. As she and Sophia sit up in sync, Dorothy enunciates, Lesbian. And as she starts to say, not Lebanese, Sophia is her hype woman, nodding in unison. It takes Blanche a moment, but then it clicks. Oh, lesbian. Then she sounds literally exactly like my Grammy from Texas. Lesbian. 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 <laughs> Making sure she isn't wrong about the definition, she starts detailing how lesbian means a woman is attracted to another woman. Stopping Blanche from getting too steamy for network TV, Dorothy chimes in. We know what it is. Still stuck on the logistics of it all, Blanche starts talking hardware when mentioning men have more to offer. This triggers a memory for Dorothy. She learned the difference in male and female bodies back in the third grade, when she was eight years old, when her classmate ran for class president, which I've never heard of for that age, but okay. And he put posters up reading, Vote for me, I'll show you my wee-wee. Two thoughts about this. One, what a born politician. He's not only a sexually harassing scumbag, but he'll use his perversions to get a win. Secondly, what the hell kind of school did Dorothy go to that allowed for this child to not only threaten his classmates with exposure, but to then win by a landslide? I know it was Brooklyn, but weren't there any adults around to control this situation? After hearing the story of Mark Perper, the pervert, Blanche makes her way to the door while stating her inclusive opinion. I don't get why she's not into guys, but whatever, as long as she's happy. Before she can leave, Sophia drops the second bomb. Jean thinks she's falling in love with Rose. Closing the door, Blanche runs to the side of the bed next to Dorothy. Standing in her stunning peach-silk nightgown and robe combo, Blanche's transformation is about to begin. First, she puts her hands on her lower back. 
As she starts to digest the news, realizing Jean could have had the hots for her but chose Rose, an indignant Blanche can barely hear Dorothy over her own screeching. As she clucks out her frustration, bobbles her head, and flaps her winged arms, she now has fully become a chicken. And this hen has had it. She simply will not stand for such rejection. Attempting to validate her hurt feelings, she seeks Dorothy's confirmation that Jean has made the wrong choice. But Dorothy can only scream at Blanche to calm down before she starts to molt. Realizing she has lost control, Blanche regains her composure, apologizing as she once again starts to leave. Before doing so, she asks if Rose knows what's going on. They tell her she doesn't. Now in her sultry, nearly meditative tone, Blanche says she's glad to hear it. News like that could be really jarring to someone less sophisticated than she is. Someone that is worldly and educated. Someone that doesn't know the difference between Lebanese and lesbian. Instead of calling her out for her BS or just laughing her off, Sophia simply says... Yeah, Rose won't be able to handle hearing Danny Thomas is a lesbian. Once again, I love the realness of Dorothy slash B. She's lying in bed, squishing her face to the side to sneer at Sophia. It's the realness that keeps the love alive. It's maybe the next night, and everyone is sitting in the living room for a game night. Wrapped in her yellow, thick, terry cloth robe is Sophia, who has come down with a cold. As she sneezes away, receiving blessings from the girls, Dorothy puts a stop to it. She's only sick because she went out in the storm to get her dirty movie. It's karma. Well, as previously discussed, no, you cannot get a cold from being cold. You have to be exposed to the cold virus. According to the Library of Congress, there are several possibilities as to why we say bless you when someone sneezes. The most well-known being that it was thought that when you sneezed, your heart stopped. Blessing someone would help to make sure it came back on post-sternutation. That's the fancy way of saying sneezing. If you go way back in time, there were two similar schools of thought, one being that your soul was made of air and stored in your head. Sneezing could make your soul accidentally project out of your face. Blessing someone was the only way to protect them. On the flip side, there were thoughts that when you sneezed, you were forcing demons out and the blessings would help those that were close to you and might get the demon juice on them. That reason is actually pretty close to reality. I mean, when you sneeze, you force demonic germs out of you and you could get people around you sick. So good on you, ancient superstitious folks. The other reason for blessings is believed to come from a pope and a plague. During the plague of 2020, I mean of 1340s, Pope Gregory I kind of gave out the order of saying bless you because a symptom of the plague was sneezing. Wow, we've come so far nearly 700 years. Now we know your heart doesn't stop when you sneeze and we have people gargling horse tranquilizer. We're doing great. While Sophia is bundled, Dorothy is serving us sophisticated Beetlejuice in white pants with a purple and black striped sweater. Blanche in yet another matching pant and over Blanche in yet another matching pant and overshirt set, a teal and black 80s pattern with a white undershirt. Jean is making me thirsty for some Pepto Bismol in her earrings to kitten heels matching light pink pant and shirt sweater combo. And Rose, sweet, sweet Rose, is in one of my favorite sweater vests of hers and all time, really. It's the teddy bears with obnoxiously yellow sleeves from her undershirt, a yellow stripe at the waist, a teal stripe at her midriff, and a blue line at the bra line on a red background that is adorned with yellow teddy bears. It's hard to be mad at her grown ass wearing it, and I want one. 
As Sophia makes her way to bed, Dorothy joins. Before she can, Blanche stops her, asking if she thinks she should really be sharing a bed with the dirty and ill Sophia. Seeing as they already shared a bed the night before, I'm thinking she's already been exposed, but I'm no medical expert. Even if she's not in danger of getting sick, it's still nice to have your own space when you're under the weather. So Sophia gets to have her own bed, now that she's been given the blessing from her warden daughter. Shuffling everyone around, Jean invites herself to sleep on the couch, but Dorothy won't have it. When she's ready for bed, she can just stay in hers. I don't know how much of a stir this episode caused, but at the 1987 Alliance of Gay and Lesbian Artists Award show, this episode was recognized for its positive portrayal of lesbianism. While at this ceremony, B. Arthur and Estelle Getty, actresses Adrienne Barbeau and Delta Burke from Designing Women, all portrayed themselves as Best Actress nominees, but lost out to Lainey Peru, who was a boozy, dramatic drag queen performed by Scott Bernstein. After arriving on stage, she thanked the audience for an Oscar, an Emmy, and a Grammy before learning they were getting an Agla Award, saying, You mean I'm getting an award from the garment workers? Terry Hughes won an Emmy for his direction of this episode, Jeffrey Dutel was nominated for his writing, and Betty Ann Lois were both nominated for their acting. While they were acknowledged for their good work at the gala, they faced some backlash. There were protesters at the event, appalled that they would have a gay character on their television. This was also at the peak of the AIDS epidemic, a time when people thought they might catch HIV from a toilet or you could catch gay like Sophia's cold. Which is why it's even more heartwarming that as Dorothy shoes her mother off to her room, she invites the out Jean to stay with her. In her bed? But it was never a moment of awkwardness. Never a moment of concern about judgment, just a gal and her friend having a slumber party. While Jean takes Dorothy up on her offer, passing on the lumpy couch, she isn't quite ready for bed yet. So she and Rose continue the crazy party after Blanche sees herself out. It's her self-care night, full of creams, lotions, and devices that look like spanks for your face. Sure, all of that work takes an hour out of Blanche's night, but it's worth it for the youthful, baby-butt-like skin she has and its appearance of a baby's bottom is why Dorothy has always wanted to put a diaper on her face. Getting in the final joke, Dorothy and Blanche make their way to their bedrooms. Jean and Rose deal another hand of gin rummy. Taking in the moment, it reminds them of fond childhood memories, like slumber parties with friends. Continuing down memory lane, Jean shares the memory of a slumber party where she and her friends discussed who they wanted to take to the prom. For Rose, she wanted to go with Hottie with a precision combine drill team body, Delbert Twitchell. So, assuming Delbert, what a name, would be taking Rose to the prom, she rejected the invite from the only foreign exchange student at her school, Cyril Mountbatten, from England. Funny that the writers chose that last name. There must have been some royalists on staff. I say that because there is a long and complicated history behind Mountbatten being the surname of the late Prince Philip, and an addition to the newly born Lilibet Mountbatten Windsor. If I'm reading correctly, which might be an issue as I have zero interest in the royals, Prince Philip had the name Mountbatten. Then all the royals chose the name Windsor because Mountbatten was a Germanically derived name, and this was during those pesky world wars. Londoners turned out in their thousands to give a tremendous and well-deserved welcome to Admiral Lord Louis Mountbatten, driving in state, accompanied by his wife, to receive the freedom of the city. There are generations of stories attached to this family name, so I'll just recommend you read the article I did on IndianExpress.com, because there's a whole thing about a Lord Mountbatten being assassinated. I kind of need a royal correspondent. 
Gmail us. And that's why I say there must have been a royalist on the writer's team, making a sort of inside joke about the exchange student being royal. These were the days of Princess Di popularity, so I don't think they were purposely trying to make a Mountbatten joke. I love, too, that they only had one exchange student. My family hosted exchange students for most of my childhood, and there was always a gaggle of them from around the world. I think it really says something about St. Olaf that only a single English-as-a-first-language student would be willing to go. Even if Rose had wanted to go with Mountbatten, her father had forbidden it. How could they work with such a language barrier? Again, it is St. Olaf, so fair. Anyway, her father was kind, but he was also pretty dumb. Without a date and only a day to go until prom, Rose was fed up. So she approached Delbert and said, what gives? Unfortunately for Rose, the answer was Jenny McCoy, a.k.a. gives, a.k.a. puts out, a.k.a. has sex. There was no competing with that. She wasn't trying to be funny, but Rose's sweet yet nutso story has Jean cracking up. Coco, I know we've talked about prom before, and you didn't have one because you were at your private school of boys. Did you ever want to go to, you know, watching movies and you're like, oh, I want that experience or there's someone I wish if I could have a celebrity to go with me, I would go. There was a prom. I just did not attend it. It was a prom with our sister school, Sacred Heart, which is an all-girls school. Oh, my God. I thought all this time they just didn't do it because you were an all-boys school. No, I just didn't go because <gasps> I didn't I didn't socialize with girls. I didn't, I didn't socialize with any of the people that I went to school with. I did not like those people. And so instead, you didn't want to go. I did not want to go. And instead of going to prom, my senior prom, my friends and I went to see the movie Deep Impact. <laughs> A few minutes ago, the United States ambassadors to every country in the world told the leaders of those nations what I'm about to tell you. Last summer, two comets were discovered that are on a collision course with Earth. Oh, my God. The smaller comet will hit first. We now have the details. Creating a tidal wave over 3,000 feet high. The larger comet is the size of New York City, 500 billion tons. If it can't be stopped, all life on Earth will perish. As the hours wear on, the games come to an end, but the conversation doesn't. Also, ladies, it is late at night. You're at home. Take off the damn heels. Commiserating about their loss of their partners, Rose shares how hard the first year after losing Charlie was. She hadn't slept alone in so long, she needed to create a Charlie shape in her bed, and she did so with a pile of pillows. Jean is inspired to make her own pat pillow pile. Before the conversation can go any deeper, the party animals realize it's 2 a.m., panicking that they have to get up for what, well, we're not really sure, Jean starts to make her way to Dorothy's room. Well, Rose won't have it. She doesn't need to be waking up Dorothy when Rose is already up, so she might as well stay with her. Even in today's media, it's not often you have a gay character represented so positively. Even though we know Jean has feelings for Rose, neither are ever sexualized or portrayed as a predator. There aren't any cheesy oohs from the audience as they head to bed because, you know, gay people just can't control themselves. Instead, they're two friends that are just looking out for each other. Joining an already laying down with fully makeup-covered eyes closed in bed, Rose, is Jean, who is coming out of one of the many bathrooms. Hell, there's probably two bathrooms in Rose's room alone. Approaching the bed in pajamas that perhaps she borrowed from Rose so she wouldn't have to wake Dorothy to get her own, Jean sits on the side of it, almost hovering over Rose. 
She wants to talk to her about her feelings, but Rose is nearly unconscious. Mustering a mutter, Rose tries to join in the conversation. Then Jean just lets Rose know how she feels, that she likes her very much, that she's special, and that she's fond of her. Even after seeing Rose's floral comforter paired with checkered sheets, she's still falling in love. When drowsy Rose realizes the weight of the words Jean is saying, her eyes pop open with surprise. That's not really an oh boy, as she's not reacting to her being gay or anything, just the shock of the conversation. Now Jean gets a little bit of a come on with her timing. I don't care who you are, gay, straight, my friend, my romantic interest. If we are, by default, having to share a bed, please don't confess feelings for me right before I go to sleep. That would be extremely uncomfortable. Like, do we have to talk about it right now? What if I don't feel the same and roll over and accidentally hug them? What if they think I'm making a move, but I'm just trying to adjust myself so I can fart? So many issues here. So many farts. <laughs> Not interested in having the conversation that usually accompanies the confession of romantic feelings, Rose starts fake snoring. Undoing her come on and making things right, Jean takes her place on Rose's clamshell-inspired sofa. The next morning, Dorothy is already up and in the kitchen when a freshly facialed Blanche joins her. Dorothy in her light blue pajamas and not white, not blue, not good robe with maybe a maroon trim. Blanche in her cream nightgown and inspired by Dorothy's inspired by the Riddler green floor length robe. Curious about her location, Blanche asks Dorothy if she's seen Jean yet. She hadn't and she wasn't on the couch. Right on cue, Sophia walks in. She's greeted with Dorothy asking her if Jean slept with her. Again, right on cue, Sophia starts by saying, Hey, I've got a bucket list, but that ain't on it. So if she didn't stay with Dorothy, she wasn't with Blanche, and Sophia didn't get experimental, there's only one answer. Rose and Jean slept together. Lesbian! Blanche gives us a little bit of an oh boy by saying, You don't think Jean would? Yeah, that's the kind of predatory stuff I was talking about. Dorothy won't entertain the idea. They played cards, and that's it. That is until Rose comes in and, without so much as a good morning, tells her that something bad happened. Well, Dorothy's concern was clearly right on the edge because she starts to lose it when she hears that. Sophia also gives us an oh boy, asking Rose if all her friends jumped off the bridge, would she? As if sex with a lesbian would only come from peer pressure. Wanting to talk to Dorothy only, Rose very politely excuses Blanche and Sophia from the kitchen. Well, Blanche is quite offended and mad because she wanted to hear all the hot goss. But she gets it, so she and Sophia leave. Well, they try to. Slowly. Finally alone, Rose shares that Jean opened up to her about her feelings and orientation. Dorothy saves her from explaining, telling her she knows, and Blanche knows, and Sophia. Rose is rightfully upset to learn she was the last to find out about Jean. Now, it's not Dorothy's place to tell everyone Jean's business. But it also isn't her place to decide for her friend what she should or shouldn't know. Okay, so maybe Rose would need the dictionary, but at least she would be learning something. Instead of just hearing the word, learning its meaning, and perhaps creating opinions, she could have known a person, a face to put to the word, letting her create opinions based off humans, not politics, religion, or just because. Luckily, Dorothy apologizes right away so they can move on, to the fact that Jean is in love with her. Feeling unsure at first, Rose has her fears confirmed that Jean does have feelings for her. As she starts to panic about what to do, Jean comes in, packed and ready to go. Sporting her same light pink pants and collared top with another harshly structured blazer is Jean, who pairs nicely, like a prom date, 
with Rose's pink robe. Wanting to talk to Jean, Rose asked Dorothy to leave the kitchen. Literally following in Blanche and Sophia's footsteps, she takes her sweet time getting to the door. Finally alone, the ladies sit at the table for a cup of coffee. Being adults and not cowards who run away from tough conversations, Jean starts out by apologizing for having expressed herself. Rose won't accept her apology, because she isn't owed one. Jean was only saying what was in her heart, and you can't fault her for that. Jean goes on to talk about how difficult life has been for her since Pat died, how her whole life's trajectory was now in shambles. Then she met Rose, someone who made her feel warm, seen, less lonely. And just like our Bachelorette contestants, her feelings were all intertwined and she confused companionship with love. But Rose won't let her dismiss herself so easily. While she may not get it, she still sees the value in love no matter where it comes from. While she doesn't have the same feelings for Jean, she would appreciate those feelings if she too were a lesbian. When Jean says thank you to Rose's sweet sentiment, it always makes my heart feel kind of bittersweet. Not only in the 80s, but still today, you have people on the sexuality and gender spectrum that are looked at as less, treated as less, talked to as less. So to have someone on television basically say, if I were gay, we'd be going to pound town in a much more beautiful and respectful way. It feels like Jean is saying thank you on behalf of gay people that were and are treated as less. Deciding to not only continue to be friends, but to spend more time together, the ladies hug it out right when Sophia walks in. So Jean clarifies, we're just hugging. Sophia knows she was eavesdropping at the door because that's a lot easier for her to get to than the kitchen window where Blanche and Dorothy are spying in. Not only that, Sophia would know they aren't up to anything naughty because she watches so many dirty movies. The beauty in this episode is all in representation. Jean wasn't presented as being different, lesser, or as an 80s stereotypical lesbian. She was a person, a human that was missing her partner, a human who had feelings and emotions, not just a character to be the butt of sexual jokes. Not only is Jean presented in a thoughtful way, the girls all handle it the same. They don't make jokes at her expense. Sophia gives a beautiful moment of acceptance. Rose respectfully declines Jean's feelings, but not because of how it would be perceived or because she's disgusted by her lifestyle. She just doesn't feel the same way. All of that and an 80-year-old who enjoys watching porn. What an episode. Be who you are, let those around you know who you are, and let them love you for who you are, no matter the type of porn you prefer. As always, thank you for listening, and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we find out Big Daddy's Big Secret. Okay. Doily, doily, doily. She's emotionally eating. Distress that, eating or whatever. And that emotion is horniness. <laughs> Uh, John Carpenter's The Thing in My Pants. No, it's Steven Spielberg. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, uh, BFG, I'd say uh, uh, B- Big Fat Globs. Oh, wow. <laughs> he directed the pilot of Night Gallery? Wow. I would like to talk about rabbit sex for a moment. Okay. Great sentence to hear. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of, like, we can take over. Because if they get going, hello, Australia, they can take over. Real kangaroo problem down there. (laughs) And rabbits. 
kangaroos are just like master rabbits. <laughs> they they are the top rabbits. We just didn't realize that. We just call them something else when really they're the king rabbit. Just look at them. <laughs> I think a rabbit swam over to Australia and grew a pocket and got huge. That's one theory. Well, I'm waiting for other ones. <laughs> You can reach us at alwaysbemysisters at gmail.com with your rabbit kangaroo theories. We look forward to hearing them. I need my, 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 my bobo honkins. I need my bobo honkins. My favorite hobbit. Hello. Why, I'm bobo honkins. Uh, I think that's the answer. That's what we're going with, at least. I wish that, that after a certain point, if you didn't want it, your brain, you could just be like, okay. Yeah. I've worked on that stuff with those people. Yeah. I've thought about that vomit. <laughs> done. Also, why do I have such a bad memory, but those things are taking up room? Too, I don't have the gig space for that. Yeah. Is it is it my fault that that's what my brain chooses to remember? Right. Gmail us. <laughs> oh, God. They're just leaping around like maniacs. All seven of them? And the brothers? Seven brides and seven brothers. That's a porn title. Yeah. Holy mackerel. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Bless your beautiful hide. News like that could be really jarring to someone less, sophist less sophisticated. <laughs> News like that could be really jarring to someone less sophisticated. <laughs> News like that could be really jarring to someone less sophisticated. <laughs> Thesaurus.com. No, I can get it. Someone less sophisticated. Roger's. Someone less sophisticated. But, 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 it's, just, it's not fun. <laughs> it's just not a fun thing. It just doesn't seem fun. In case anyone didn't know, Coco is an introvert. <laughs> attacked not attacked clarifying or informing i'm pretty sure they know by this is season <laughs> two of, this, of us doing this they know i'm an inside boy always be my sisters is written hosted and created by alicia holland produced and edited by josh mccullough always be my sisters is a cascade media production you'll always be my sister